You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. So good seeing this room fill up more and more each week. The second service is usually semi-packed. And, uh, you know, as I was sitting over here, I, I normally don't sit on this side much, but I sat behind a group of teenagers over here. And for me, doing youth ministry for a long time, 34 years, anytime I see a group of teenagers get together and they're gathered for a morning service, early morning service, it just does my heart well. I mean, to see them. So let's give them a hand for their faithfulness. Um, Probably embarrassed you a little bit, didn't it? Anyway, I just want to give credit where credit is due. And uh, I think that is amazing that you guys are all here early in the morning. Um, If you... It's been a while since I've been up here. Um, This has been a long, hard COVID year. Um, I've gone through a kidney transplant this year and uh, feeling good. So I'm, I'm thankful to see you guys here this morning. And uh, I'm Dan Clancy. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, so this morning we're finishing on the third week of awakenings or revivals. And we've looked at two Old Testament um, revivals so far. And today we'll be looking at our third in our last one, um, but even in the fall, we we preached on Nehemiah, which that was a revival also, but I want to go through some things today. I think they'll bless your heart. I know they've blessed mine, and uh, this is over a lifetime of, I don't know, learning that I've seen God do some amazing things, so I want you to go on a mental journey with me, maybe a spiritual journey. Let's just start on a mental one. I want you to think, you don't have to say it out loud, you don't have to do any of this, but um, when do you feel in your life, there's young in here, there's old in here, when do you feel in your life that you've been the closest to the Lord? You all zooming in on that? Are you thinking about that? Maybe you just had this recent experience at Amplify. Maybe it's been something else that's been going on. Maybe it was Christie's event that they had. You belong here on Friday night. But when is the time in your life where you feel like you have been the closest to the Lord? You got that locked in? Okay. You know, so um, like for me, I could go on when I feel closest to the Lord. Um, but I want to go. Just one more step further with that one. What were you doing then when you felt closest to the Lord? What were you doing then that you're not doing now? You thinking about that? Locking that in? Okay, because we're going to go further with these questions. Um, Just think silently about that. 
in your mind. Because I'm going to come back to these things and gel them all together. Now, logically, if you're having a spiritual high, that would mean that what is possible in your life? A spiritual low. Thank you for saying that. So there's a spiritual low. And that's the thing, you know, it's like some people live this life, you know, that's roller coaster. They're up, then they're down. They're up, and then they're down. And that's not the life that God wants us to live, this spiritual highs, spiritual lows. He wants us to live more, more consistently. So here's another question. I want you to name in your mind, again, silently, I want you to think about someone. Maybe it's history. Maybe it's Jesus. Maybe it's Abraham Lincoln. Maybe it's Charles Livingston, the great uh, missionary. But I want you to think of someone in your mind that has meant a great deal to you. They're one of your spiritual, they're one of your, your heroes. Not spiritual, but they're one of your heroes in your life. Are you guys thinking about that? I'm sorry I'm asking you all these questions, but I want to get us all on the same train because we all have answers to this. It might be based upon our age. It might be um, based upon events or how much you like to read, whatever. But now I want you to go to your spiritual heroes. Think about who are your spiritual heroes? As you read God's word, what are some of your, who are some of your spiritual heroes? I know I asked you six questions right there, right coming out of the gate. But for me, of course, I'm going to say, you know, Jesus. I love Joseph in the Old Testament. He's a type of Jesus. I love the widow that gave it all. And, you know, she's just a great example for all of us. But I want to ask you, since we're preaching on the book of Ezra, did any of you even think to mention Ezra? Was Ezra on any of your list when I said, who's someone in the Bible that you, you think a lot of, he would be a biblical hero for you? For most people, no. They don't even think about him. They don't really even know much about him. But I guarantee you that he should have been on our list. You know, he was a scribe that was post-captivity, coming back from um, coming back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem, you know, rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the temple. And his very name means help. That was the story of his whole life, is that he just helped and helped and helped and helped. And, uh, you know, he was serving God, he was serving men. And it's interesting when we look at some of these verses. There's so many of the verses. That's why I had them read up on the screen. Great job, Micah. But let's look at the book of Ezra. If you have one of these in front of you, it is on page 225. I'll make it easy for you. If you brought your own Bible, my Bible says it's page 791. That might help you. But we're going to Ezra chapter 9, verse 5. And we're going to look at some verses here. 
Ja, es gab da Try to read this up close. It says in chapter 5, I mean in chapter 9, verse 5, it says, so he just came from, as I told before, he just, he just came from Babylon, and he's checking out the city and what shape it is. He's, you know, he's 13 um, years before um, Jeremiah, I mean Nehemiah. So it says this in verse 5. It says, When the evening, at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my abasement with my tunic and my cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to God and I prayed. I mean, just picture this. He's been there all day, he's been praying all day, and then when the evening sacrifice comes, you know, he drops to his knees. His cloak is torn, um, you know, the tunic is torn, and he is so burdened about the sins that he's seen that day, you know, of people that have gotten a brand new chance from the Persian king to make things right, but he's there worshiping, and he can't even lift his head. He can't even lift his head because his, the sins around him are so heavy. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that where it hasn't happened many times in my life, but I have been so weighed down by the sins of things that I'm seeing in people's attitudes or if I'm watching some TV and I see two different opinions go, but he cannot even raise his head in this. And so in this passage, it goes on and it starts talking about you know, we have to look at some of these things. Why did he fall on his knees? Well, one of the reasons he fell on his knees is the humility, um, the embarrassment. He was not concealing anything. He was showing it all to the Lord. I'm embarrassed of this. I'm abased of this, everything that's going on. And it goes on in verse uh, 6. It says, oh, my God, I'm too ashamed a disgrace to lift up my face to you, my God, because our sins are higher than our heads. You know, he's looking straight ahead. Our sins are above our heads. I can't even look to you in prayer. And then he goes on, he says, our guilt has reached, has reached to the heavens. And from the days of our forefathers until now. So he's going back generations. He said this, this isn't just a now thing. Even though we've been in exile here, our forefathers have been in sin for a great time. And so he goes on. And I'll bring it into our day and age. He said, our guilt has been so great because of our sin, O Lord. We and our kings and our priests have, subjected, have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage, to humiliation, to the hand of the Lord. So it's like, I don't even know what to do here. I just got into town. I'm just checking things out. I know what God has called me to do. He's called me to rebuild the temple. And uh, so much sin around. Drops to his knees. Can't even talk to the Lord. But I know, you know, sometimes in our life, you know, we think about 
Okay, this happened so many years ago. This is over 500 BC, you know, so this is 25,000, almost 26,000 years from now. But when I was in Bible college, I was raised, born, born and raised Catholic, loved the church that I went to, served everywhere that I could serve. Um, but then came the day when I had the, I finally got it. It was like an aha moment. I understood that I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. I knew all about him, but I didn't have a personal relationship with God. And then the next year followed by a, a big decision. What am I going to do? You know, it's like I always tell my kids, the three most important decisions you're going to make in your life, who's going to be your master? That's number one decision. What are, you, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Number two, what is going to be your mission in life? And number three, you know, if this is God's will for your life, is who's going to be your Lord? So, I mean, your, your mate. So I'm in Bible college, um, cranking down on learning all these things. All these kids around me have been in college for many, many years. I mean, they've been in the Bible for many, many years. They had, you know, Sunday school teachers, et cetera. Moms and dads taught them the word of God. But for some reason, I wanted to take, um, I wanted to be a church growth major. And I never even heard of one before. So I became a church growth major, and it was the most amazing experience in my life. I go into a class. It's one of the oldest professors on campus, and he only teaches on Tuesday um, Tuesday and Thursday. And so I'm sitting in class waiting for him. We're all anticipating him coming into class. Every week he is flying from somewhere to class. He comes in all hurried, sometimes late, but he would just sit down on the desk and he would fold his legs, open the laptop, and he said, let me tell you about this, my weekend. And we're just like listening. I mean, this guy is going to, he's going to drop some wisdom here in a second. He said, I just got off the plane to San Pablo, Brazil. And I mean, all of us, we've never been anywhere. We haven't traveled anywhere, most of us. And he says, this church is running 10,000 and they're meeting in an airplane hangar that is totally disrepair everything else. And I mean, God is moving in a great way. And we're just like, wow, this is awesome. You know, and he's telling us, if you ever want to travel with me, my schedule's on the door. If you can afford it, you could travel with me. You could see these things that God's doing. And so I'm watching all this, and I'm like, you know, man, I wish I had money. Man, I wish I could go on these big trips that he's going on. And uh, so anyway, very next day, comes in the class. He said, sits on the desk, does it again. And he said, let me tell you a church that is in, this is before all the worship wars hit. This is before it got really big. This is in 85. And he said, let me tell you about a church in California that are growing their church totally by worship. That's a foreign concept in 85. Totally by worship. And he starts telling what this guy's name is. No one had heard of him yet. 
And, you know, his name was Jack Hayford. He wrote Majesty. This, it was an old song in the 80s. But anyway, he said, he is totally building his church by worship. His people are on their knees. They're praying. They're doing this. Next Tuesday, he comes around. He said, let me tell you about a church that's up in Seattle. Their whole, everything that they're talking about is see a need, meet a need. And that's the way the church is growing. They, they challenge people in their church to see a need. And then as a church, they meet the need. And they're booming out in Seattle. Then he'll go in Thursday. And I'll get back to this passage. And he will be like, he said, how many of you have ever heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle? And at that time, that wasn't a big thing yet. And so anyway, a few raised their hand. Yeah, they had heard of it. But anyway, it's like, let me just tell you about this poor pastor in New York City. And I'm thinking, poor pastor? I mean, if he's famous and he's got a mega church. What are we talking about here? So anyway, he goes, his wife has won like five Emmys. She leads the choir in the church. And I mean, it's doing amazing things in the community, around the world, New York City, all the immigrants that are dropping into New York City. He says, uh, one day, he was really discouraged because his wife is so successful. And she, he asked, you know, why is God blessing you so much? And it doesn't seem like he's blessing me so much. And she was honest, and she said, and I hate to say this, she said, because you really stink. You're really, really bad. You're trying to, every week you're trying to be someone that you're not. You're trying to be this preacher, then you're trying to be this preacher, then you're trying your methods over here, and none of it is working for you. And she said, you got to be yourself. And so, he starts praying about working through that, and next thing you know, his wife drops another nugget on him. She said, you're trying to talk about yourself. And he said, and I'll throw this back into what we're going, she said, but you need to talk about the cross. And when you talk about the cross, that's when the Holy Spirit really pays attention. When you start talking about what Jesus did on the cross, that's what God says. You know, that's when the Holy Spirit says, I'm all in. I love what you're talking about. I'm all in. And next thing you know, he's noticing in his church. This is like, what she just told me is true. God's all in at this moment. And so, like I said, as we're looking at this passage, I'm going to throw some of these things together, and then I'm even going to come back to things that I've seen right here in the chapel in North Canton over the last 26 years that I've been here. I've been here off and on. So, the first thing it says here, if we want to see revival, and that's all I've ever wanted to see. When, like I said, growing up Catholic, everything was pretty much for me the same thing, but I served every week. I was an altar boy. I came, I did it. It wasn't just some casual thing. I really, really wanted to know God in a deep, deep way. And so 
in this passage, you know, Ezra's watching all this. And if we want to see revival hit in this church, and it can hit in this church, that we've been preaching about it for the last two weeks, that we talked about it in Nehemiah. But one of the things is, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to acknowledge our own personal sin. We have to acknowledge that. And a lot of times we ignore it. We, it's not such a big deal. But we have to acknowledge our own personal sin. And that's exactly what we see in Ezra here. It says, you know, it says in verse 5, it says, I rose from my self-abasement, my tunic and cloak torn. The reason they did that, it was great repentance. You know, when they tore their cloak and they turned their tunic. And he started referring to the, it wasn't his sin. He wasn't doing any of this stuff. He had just gotten there. But when he saw the sin, it turned from my sin to, from their sin to our sin. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's going the second step, showing his humility and showing it all. And that's so many times it's like, we, we don't do that. We hide our sin. No one knows of our sin. And so that's what we're seeing here. The second thing Ezra did in verses, uh, um, in verse 7 is he acknowledged this collective responsibility that they all had for their own sin. And so after every week of going to these classes with Dr. Towns, I'll switch in and out. I just couldn't wait to go to class again because I just couldn't wait to hear the next story. I wanted to be involved in every one of these things. Didn't know exactly how, didn't know exactly how God would use a 19-year-old. But, you know, I just started praying, God, let me, let me enter into the, some of these areas. And it was really weird when I ended up here at the chapel the first time. Is Our, our pastor at that time, he encouraged us to go to the Billy Graham Training Center. Has anyone ever been to the Billy Graham Training Center? North Carolina. You have to do it. There's like a couple of you in here. It's got to be on your bucket list. It's got to make it on there. It's the most incredible place. But that week they had um, Howard Hendricks from uh, Dallas Theological preaching that week. What a wonderful week. But as you're there, I mean, they strip away everything. So you get everything that you can get out of this week. There's no TVs. There was no phones. Just... Just time with you and the Lord in the Bible. So there's this book in the bookstore, and I, I'm looking at it all week long, and it was um, the Great American Revival. Like, I had taken classes on biblical revivals, but I had never read about the Great American Revival. I was familiar with it, but I had not read the book. And so I'm reading all this thing, and all these pages in the book and different things saying, but one of the things that struck me like crazy was in the book, the revivals all started with people under the age of 30. They started that way, didn't end that way. But 
I'm reading this and I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. Then I start reading about, you know, in 1775 when um, all the students at Princeton were going through this, the great American revival. They're in their rooms, locking themselves in their room and they're praying. And people are outside the doors trying to get them to come out. Stop praying. This is too weird. And they just kept praying. And then as a start of that, the Great American Revival started um, right around that time, up and down the East Coast through the Ivy schools that it went on. And I'm like, man, this is really, this is really cool. And so I finished reading the book, and we were like, oh, we have, like, camp coming up. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great that God, maybe if he did it, if he did it then, could he do it now? And so anyway, I re- I'm reading the book, and it's some basic principles that I'm going to talk about here is first principle is you have to acknowledge your own personal sin. Second principle there is you have to accept not, even, not only the sins that, so, that you didn't do, but what someone else did. You know, it's like you have to be a, a change agent in your youth group. Instead of hearing something and just going along or laughing at it or, or doing something that will change something, you have to be that person. You have to step into that situation. And so reading this, I get back and, you know, the whole time in, in the van coming back, me and Leah had just been married a year, but I told her, I said, this is going to be something really weird I think, and I'm thinking about doing. And I think it's from God, but he's never asked me to do anything like this before. And so she said, what, what is it that you think he's asking you to do? And I'm like, I'm going to ask the youth group to come along with me on a journey. And the first week, every night at 9 o'clock at night, when they're off of work and all that, we're going to get together. And we are going to get together and we're going to pray. And then I'm going to preach a short message on repentance. They need to repent over their sins. And so... Every day for a week at 9 o'clock we met. The crowd kept getting larger and larger. And I know that you guys a little did a little bit this, this week too, talking about revival, right? Right, Josh? Okay, good. You can't tell with the mask if they're even asleep or understand. So anyway, um, we started gathering. And people were repenting. And we're like, what's next? Well, in the book, in Princeton... They went from repenting to um, fasting. And so the next week, parents are thinking we're crazy because their kid plays baseball or they have sports camps all summer long. But we, we fasted from um, sundown to, from sunup to sundown. And we broke the fast at night at, at 9 o'clock. Together. Everyone had been fasting that whole night, and man, things are happening, you know? It's like, whoa, things are on fire, you know? And so the third thing that the book says is that the people needed to be re-instructed. And Brandon talked about that on week number one, where they found the Word of God with Josiah 
and they had to be re-instructed with God's word. So we did that for the third week. We are so jacked up, you know, especially the youth workers and another staff member I had, but we were thinking, man, we can't wait to go to camp. We're going to see revival. And this is going to be, it's just going to be amazing. And none of us has ever seen anything like this. And so we go to camp, and everything goes wrong. Everything. We, you know, we've been fasting and praying and being re instructed for three weeks, and everything goes wrong. There's no revival. <laughs> There's no revival happening. This is pure chaos. And so anyway, the camp speakers are big names in the youth world. Now they might. Uh, they would still know them, but they're not big name. But that year we had Andy Stanley and we had Louis Giglio. And I'm like, if anyone's going to bring a revival, they're preaching and they're understanding God's word, they're going to bring a revival. And so it didn't happen. And it was weird. We had, we had an intern that we didn't really know that much, but we had an intern and he was just messing everything up. And we're like, what in the world's going on? Could this be spiritual welfare? And if it was, it was some that I'd never seen before because he was actually prophesying what, what would happen next. And we're at a really conservative camp. You know, this stuff doesn't normally happen. And... Uh, so anyway, I went to Louis Giglio and Andy Stanley, and I said, do you think this could be happening? I'm sort of feeling crazy here. And he's like, uh, he said, well, I guarantee you there's no other youth group in this whole, there's over 2,000 kids. There's no other youth group that had been doing what you've been doing. They hadn't been praying. They hadn't been fasting, you know, and they haven't been re-instructed and repenting and all this. And so, could it be happening to you? Most likely, yes. Because you're the one that was preparing. Anytime God's people, you know, the remnant starts getting together, there's going to be battle. There's going to be battle. And that's what we see, you know, um, what was happening here is these people were in exile for a long time. And God decided to let them out of exile. God allowed them to go back and to build the walls of Jerusalem. God allowed them to have favor with the Persian kings. Three kings in a row gave them um, uh, favor, but they went back. And as soon as they were forgiven and God's goodness, I mean, these kings provided them with protection. They provided them with um, finances, um, it's just amazing things are going to happen, but it's just as quick as it happened, they forgot. And that's the, that would be one of my next points on here is, you know, we need to remember things. There's so many great things that God does that we, he does them and then we don't remember. How quickly we forget how good he is and what he's done for us. And, uh, you know, it's like, over all the years of being a youth pastor, one of the things that I've seen is like, even teenagers, as sharp as their mind is, they forget. 
And so like as youth pastors, we try to do things that's going to help them remember. You know, it's like, why don't you put together a, a spiritual life kit? Why don't you have a, a revival, something to remind you of what God did at this camp? We started making booklets where they'd write and journal down things. We would do all the hokey things like throw a stick in the fire and, you know, the stick reminds us of our, our sin and God takes our sin and he remembers it no more. Just all these things. It might be a, it might be a concert ticket from Toby, Toby Mac. It could be whatever age that you were around. We, we did it, but... You need, if you want your spiritual revival to go in your life, you know, it's just like they had a great amplifier. Here's some things that we, not just them, but we need in our life is, first thing we need to do is we need to have people that are going the same direction as us. You think you could do it on your own? It ain't going to happen. It'll last for a while, but it won't be as long as you think it's going to be. You know, another thing that needs to happen in our life is, you know, we need, um, like I said, we need that accountability partner. In the Bible, it talks about, you know, you know, a cord of um, three is better than, you know, one or two. You got to have that person. And all through my life, that was the thing that I want to thank the Lord for is he's always broadened people alongside of me. You know, it's like when I was going about majorly to fall, they were there to pick me up and to go through all of this. My time's running out, and I'm halfway through. So, with the third thing, instead of my just my sin, it becomes our sin. It's a collective responsibility. And, you know, it's like, I feel like I have to choose what I'm going to say here. So, he talks about this in verse 8. And I'm going to go on it. It says, but now for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant. Okay, think of that word remnant. He's going to say it a couple more times in the verses here giving us a firm place in the sanctuary. So our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief for bondage. What does that remnant mean? It's like a lot of times we we, we feel like we're doing things all alone. It's like, man, everyone's down right now. I don't see anyone living for the Lord. But he talks about he gave us that remnant. There's always that remnant. You know, the remnant could be 3,000 people. Remnant could be... 10,000 people, 100,000 people, but there's always that remnant that God has around that is going to spring into action. So what am I saying all this for today? You know, as we're coming down, we've done three weeks of revival, how to have that. But it starts with one person. If we want to see revival, it starts with me it starts with you and that's where we're at right now you know it starts with you and me 
and we're at the end of a service and we've had this crazy time in our in our life this last year with COVID. People feel so disconnected from one another. But I'm going to challenge you just to, if God puts it on your heart, for you to respond. And what is that response for you? It might be totally different than for me, but I'll just challenge you to come and give yourself to the Lord. There's a big difference between a person um, saying, I'm going to give my life to the Lord today. Today is the day I'm going to give my life to the Lord. Well, if you could give your life to the Lord, then you could take it back. I changed my mind. I don't want to do that. Too much sacrifice. And then there's the other person that says, I'm going to surrender my life to the Lord today. I'm going to give them this 24 hours. I'm not going to, not everything. I'm going to give them my life today. And that's what I'm going to encourage you to do. It's like, let's take those small steps one by one. And if God's prompting you in your heart, is say, I give you this next 24 hours. We'll start this all over tomorrow. So I'm going to pray right now. Band's going to come up. And I'm going to ask you if God is leading in your heart. You can do it right where you're sitting. You can do it here. But to me, why go through a series about revival if you're not going to respond to it? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And uh, we know we do all this. We know that we, we need repentance big time in, in our life. Lord, we need to come to you and ask you for a new start. Lord, I pray that you would put people around us that would cause us to fall in love with you even more. Lord, I pray for just reminding us daily, you know, of all the great things and good things that you do for us. And so, Lord, as we stand before this altar and we sing and we lift our hands, Lord, I pray that today, Lord, we would give it all to you and we would surrender, knowing that we're not, ever, we're not getting it back. Surrender the next 24 hours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the band is singing, I'm going to join down front. No pressure on you. But if you feel like God's leading you to respond, I invite you to come down. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.